Thanks for listening to the Northridge Christian Podcast. At Northridge, we exist to help people move closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. We pray that you grow in your walk with God through this message today. So prepare your heart and mind for this teaching by our discipleship pastor, Adam Scott. Hey, good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing all right today. Everybody doing good? All right, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Hey, listen, we are in week two of a series that I'm absolutely loving. The series is called True North. And as we dive into this series, what we're essentially trying to do is talk about how to follow God in a world that doesn't follow God. You see, we live in a world where where people are pursuing this or they're pursuing that. And while they're chasing after all those different things, we want to be different. And we want to study how to stay on the path that leads to Jesus. Today, specifically, we're talking about morality. We're talking about right and wrong. We're talking about embracing God's plan as the standard for how we live our lives by placing ourselves underneath His authority. Here's the problem. We don't really like that word, do we? That word authority, we like to hold it, right? We like to wield it, but we don't like to give it to somebody else. See, I could prove that with a little history lesson. It's a a history of human existence, okay? Before you're even old enough to be independent enough to wipe your own rear end, okay? We learn a two-letter word. You know what that word is? No. And we learn it well, don't we? Do you want this? No. Do you want that? No. Why? Because it wasn't my idea and I want to be in control. Well, then we get to be big kids and nothing changes, does it? Except for our vocabulary grows a little bit. You see, we watch movies like Lion King. Anybody watch Lion King when you were growing up? Okay, we watch movies like Lion King and and the mom lion, the dad lion, they have standards and guidelines and rules, but we want to go to the elephant graveyard with Simba and Nala. And so we laugh in the face of danger and we set out to demonstrate our strength through independence. Then we become teenagers. All of a sudden we start asking really difficult questions like how far can I go? Or what can I get away with? Or what's the worst that can happen if I cross this line? Then we become young adults or college students, and for the first time ever, we're able to test the boundaries of authority without the accountability of parents that are waiting up for us when we get home. And then when we become wise, old, mature adults, we flip a switch and we recognize authority as good, beneficial, and life-giving, right? Wrong. That's not how things work. You see, we conform when necessary, but ultimately we still hold on to the power to test the boundaries when necessary. I can give you a good example of this. I wrote this part of the message while sitting at Blackbird this past week, and I sat there with my car parked outside for way more than two hours, okay? Your pastor's a rebel, okay? I broke the rules so that I could talk to you about Jesus. Listen, as a people, we have a problem with authority, It follows us from the cradle all the way to the grave and even into our relationship with Jesus. You see, we like to resist authority even when it's Jesus who's telling us what to do. You see, the problem then becomes that Jesus has really high standards for us. See, that complicates the issue a little bit more. You see, Jesus' standards go like this. He equates anger to murder and lust to adultery. He says to turn the other cheek and to love our enemies. 
as people like us who have a problem with authority, this is a tough pill to swallow. But then Jesus doesn't stop there. He says this in Matthew 5.20. He says, for I tell you that unless your righteousness, righteousness means right living, it's moral choices, it's the way you live your life, unless it surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, the Pharisees, this is what they did. They sought to number and obey all 613 commands found in the Old Testament. Not only did they do that, but they piled rules, thousands of rules on top of those 613 commands so that they could clarify them and follow them even more closely. That's who Jesus is talking about here. And he says, I expect more from you than that. You see, listen, the bar under Jesus' authority, it is way up here. The question then becomes this, how can we as rebellious, authority-challenging, independent, 21st century Americans ever give Jesus what he wants from us? I mean, can we ever really achieve righteousness? Or is this pursuit of righteousness, this pursuit of morality, just a hopeless case that we need to walk away from and abandon completely? That's what we're going to unpack today. If you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to the story of Samson in Judges chapter 13 through 16. Now, if you grew up in church, maybe you remember Sunday school or vacation Bible school, you probably already got these memories that are triggering in your mind as you hear about Samson. You're thinking long hair, you're thinking big muscles, and we're going to get to all of that in just a minute. But the first thing that you need to know about Samson is that he was born to be different. He was born to be set apart. In Judges 13, 5, an angel appears to Samson's mother, and this is the message that he has for her. He says, you will become pregnant. You will have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. You see, a Nazarite was a person who took a vow to separate themselves from worldly things so that they would stand out for God. See, they set themselves apart. They would abstain from wine, but not just wine. They would abstain from anything made from or with grapes. Okay, pretty big standard. They would also avoid any corpses or any graves. Even if a friend or a family member were to pass away, they would have to completely separate themselves because of their commitment to God. On top of all of that, it says right here, you were never to use a razor. You were never to get a haircut. You were to grow your hair out long. And that was going to be a visible sign of your commitment to God. Now, most people that took this vow would take it for 30 days or maybe 60 days, some 90 days. Some even went as high as 100 days. But Samson was different. He's one of the few people we ever have recorded that that made this commitment throughout the entirety of his life. As a result of this commitment that was assigned to him, but that he embraced as the way he lived his life, God gave him this supernatural strength so that he could wreak havoc on the enemies of the Israelites. He was the ultimate warrior. He He was Israel's Captain America. Here's a few of the impressive things on Samson's resume, things he did with his strength. He tore a lion apart with his bare hands. That's pretty cool, right? Okay, just ripped it in half. He did something else. He, he caught 300 foxes and he tied them together in pairs, tail to tail, before setting them on fire to destroy the crops of the Philistines. That's pretty hardcore, isn't it? 
Who wants to volunteer to tie two foxes together by their tails? That seems like a crazy idea. He did it with 300 of them and destroyed the crops of the Philistines. He even massacred an entire Philistine army using only the jawbone of a donkey. Listen, this guy has an incredibly cool story, but unfortunately, Samson is not just known for his strength and for his vows and his promises to God. He's also known for his lack of self-control. You see, first he falls in love with a Philistine woman. And he sets out to marry her, even though God's law forbade the marriage. Next, on another occasion, he's almost captured by the Philistines while he's um, entertaining a prostitute. After all of this, Samson eventually becomes involved with a woman named Delilah, who the Philistines had recruited and bribed to find the source of his strength so that they could bring him to ruin. Three times she asked him what the source of his strength is. Three times he lies, but she reveals her intentions, and still he doesn't walk away from her. Delilah doesn't give up. Samson doesn't learn his lesson, and this is what it says in Judges 16, verses 15 through 17. It says, Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. See, don't miss what's happening here. When forced to choose between this woman that caught his eye and his commitment to God, Samson made the wrong choice. He chose to surrender to her instead of to God. Judges 16, 19, it reveals what happens after this. It says, after putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to, and so began to subdue him and his strength left him. Listen, Samson's moral weakness led to physical weakness and ultimately his downfall. The Philistines seize him, they gouge out his eyes, and they place him in prison. Listen, that's not a very happy ending to the story, but it makes us ask, what does this story have to do with us? The answer is everything. You see, even while living under the strict guidelines of the Nazarite vow, there was still something missing in his relationship with God. He still fell short. He made broad promises to God that made him look spiritual, but his actions demonstrated a lack of spiritual depth and surrender. You see, he was following all the rules, but he was not being driven by a relationship. Listen, here's the principle for each and every one of us that we need to take away from the story and apply to our own lives. This is the sermon in a sentence. We are called to a deeper relationship, not a broader checklist. That's what we learn from Samson's story. We are called to a deeper relationship, not a broader checklist. In other words, our broad surface level promises are not what determines our righteousness. It is the depth of our commitment and our surrender. Listen, this is what Samson's story says to me. It says that following Jesus is not about checking enough boxes to stay off of God's radar. That's not what it's about. 
It means that a relationship with Jesus is not about promises or intentions. It's not about doing enough good to outweigh the bad. It's not about looking spiritually successful. It's not about raising our hand or walking down the aisle just to make a decision that protects us from hell. Let me tell you something. Heaven is the reward. It is not the goal. The goal, the greatest and most important battle of the Christian life is this. It's submission. It's surrender. It's a relationship that causes us to align ourselves more and more under the authority of Jesus. It's about letting his words and his desires transform us from the inside out. Not in part, but in whole. It's about a relationship that goes deep enough to produce authentic change. That's what Samson was missing. He made promises, but he was missing that relationship. That's what Jesus calls us to in Matthew 5.20. He says, a righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees is one that is defined by a relationship. Listen, if that's true, if a relationship is what it's all about, then we need to spend some time diving into what that relationship looks like, what the characteristics of that relationship are so that we can grow more and more in our relationship with him. Here's the first thing that we need to learn about a relationship with Jesus. It's this, a deeper relationship sets a new standard. It sets a new standard. You see, during this time period, the Bible tells us that everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Does that sound familiar to anybody at all? Can we relate to that at all? Everybody just did whatever felt right, whatever looked good to them. That was their standard. That was where they went. It says even Samson, when he went out to marry this Philistine woman, his, his parents opposed the marriage, but he said, the woman is right in my eyes. Listen, this phrase, it captures more than Samson's attraction. It reveals the condition of his heart. Samson's standards were his impulses and his desires, not his relationship with God or the desires that God had for him. Listen, let me make this practical for you. When I first moved into the house that I'm living in right now, there was some woods behind us. There's not any more, okay? We miss those woods. But if you're looking for a place to live, I got a good place with some good neighbors. Bring some kids. We'd love to get together with you and jump on the trampoline. But listen, I looked at the map, and I saw that there was a lake that was behind our house, and I thought, I'm going to set out to find that lake. I'm going to go on an adventure with one of my kids, and we're going to get to the place where we can experience this lake. And so we set out in our backyard, and and we started to go through this crowded woods and we started to move to the left and to the right and there was trees down so we had to go this way and, and then we got stuck in briars so we had to go that way and, and basically we just went whatever way felt right. All of a sudden I ended up at a place where I, I discovered a brand new neighborhood. I didn't even know it existed. I walked out of the woods, I came out of the clearing and I'm looking around going, where, where am I? This is unbelievable. I didn't even know that this was behind us. I saw a house that looked familiar, could really place it. I turned to my right, I saw another house that looked familiar. It had my name on the mailbox. Like, and I realized that I had been trying to go straight through the woods, but I had gotten lost and twisted and turned around and ended right back where I started. Listen, we often do the same thing in the way we live our lives. See, we think things like this. We think, well, this, this way feels right, and so this is what I'm going to do. Or that's the way that everybody else is going, so that's what I'm going to do. But you got to understand when you're following Jesus that feelings fluctuate and people let us down. And if those are our standards, it's not going to take long for us to get twisted, turned around, and lost 
and never make it to the place that we're trying to go. Listen, God's standard, his plan, his word, that's the compass that keeps us moving in the right direction. And his standards are revealed through a relationship that keeps us focused on him. Listen, we all know this. Relationships are developed through time and attention. If we spend an hour a week gathered in this place, and that's the only time we spend with Jesus, our standards are never going to change. But when we spend time with Jesus, when we open God's word, when we make prayer a priority, when we start and end our day with him, then all of a sudden that priority is going to cause our standards to change, and we're going to begin following him wherever he wants us to go. You see, just a little while ago, we sang these words. We sang, wherever you lead me, whatever it costs me, all I want is you. That's not intended to be lip service. That's supposed to be the deep desires of our heart. To sing that out with everything we've got because we genuinely, honestly, authentically want to pursue him and live our lives based on his standards. Here's the second characteristic of a deeper relationship with Jesus. A deeper relationship transforms our character not just our reputation. You see, Samson had long hair and he had supernatural strength that revealed his commitment to every person he met. But what looked good and strong on the surface was weak on the inside. Essentially, this is what happened to Samson. His reputation outgrew his character. His reputation outgrew his character. You see, character is who we are when nobody's looking. It's the stuff that can't just come from a checklist but overflows out of a relationship. It's the stuff that's invisible to everybody else, but it matters to God. This past week, I I read an article. It came from McDonald's, and it was a a research project that had been done on all of these little kiosks right here. And you're going to love this as you're picking where you're going to go eat afterwards. But they actually did research by randomly selecting eight of these units at different restaurant locations, and their findings were kind of surprising. They actually found enough fecal bacteria on every single one of them to put people in the hospital. Make you feel good? Okay? That's what they did. And I bet it's not just McDonald's either. That's where the research was happening. But I bet anywhere you go that has a public checkout situation like this, they're going to find the same thing. You see, it's invisible, so what does it matter, right? But even though it's invisible, that doesn't mean that it doesn't influence our decisions in the future. And from now on, we're going to walk right up to that front desk when we want to place our order. Listen, just because it's invisible doesn't mean that it's insignificant. Our character may not be as visible as our reputation, but just like this, it matters. It matters to God. I saw this post on Twitter by a pastor whose name I can't pronounce, but he said, Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss so we know that someone's public affection for Jesus might not be telling the whole story. Man, Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss so we know that someone's public affection for Jesus might not be telling the whole story. You see, the question for us is which one are we prioritizing more? Our reputation is built on whether or not we we uh, go to church and whether or not we have a cross on our necklace or whether or not we put a Jesus bumper sticker on our car, whether or not we post spiritual things or sermon quotes or Bible verses on our Facebook wall. Those things are good. But let me tell you something. Our character is built on whether we apply God's word, seek his heart, and surrender our lives. We've got to ask ourselves, does our private life reveal even more about our relationship than our public image does? And if not, if not, 
then our reputation may have outgrown our character. Let's look at the third and final thing that we can discover from the story about a a deeper relationship with Jesus, and it's this. A deeper relationship takes delight in God's heart. A deeper relationship takes delight in God's heart. You see, love is a better motivator than guidelines and rules could ever be. God loved us, and so we want to live for him. Psalm 119 is a great example of this. The psalmist says this. He says, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. This is what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, oh, God, your words are authoritative, and I am called to submit to them. Instead, he says, your words are delightful. I'm passionate and excited about doing what you ask. Listen, those two different approaches are enormous. One is reluctant obedience, and the other is a relationship that's built on love. Let me tell you, as the executive pastor here, I'm very involved in people's job descriptions. I'm very much involved with what things people on staff have been asked to do. And I'll tell you something that's not on anybody's job description. Not a single person has it on their job description that they're supposed to pick up trash on the side of the road when it's left here on a Sunday morning. Okay, nobody's. It doesn't say that anywhere. How often do you drive in and see trash on the side of the road when you come here on Sunday mornings? Never, right? You want to know why? Because the people that are on staff here are not just driven by the rules and expectations. They genuinely love the church, and they genuinely love you, and so they go above and beyond, and I have caught them picking up trash on the side of the road on Sunday mornings. Listen, love is a greater motivator than the rules and the guidelines. Listen, is our walk with Christ based on love or is it based on checklists? Is it conformity or is it passion? Morality within the context of relationships is about passionately running to Jesus. You and I, we are called to a deeper relationship with Jesus. Listen, today I'm going to challenge you to respond to this story in several different ways, but the first one is something that we're going to do right here together. You see, we're going to look at the story of Samson. We're going to look at what Jesus expects from us. We're going to look at the relationship that he longs to have with us. And we're going to sit at his feet through taking communion together. And let me tell you what communion is. Communion is simply an acknowledgement that we have messed up and that we have gotten it wrong way more than we have gotten it right. You see, just like Samson, we've given our eyes, we've given our strength, we've given our attention to worldly things instead of the things of God. And so we sit at the feet of Jesus and we meditate on the fact that through his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, he has restored the relationship that we damaged by making us right with him again. So over the next few moments, after I pray, you're going to have an opportunity to go to one of these stations right here. They're in the middle of the room. They're in the back in the front. Pick up communion and go back to your seat and just simply focus on what Jesus has done for us and focus on our surrender to him. Listen, this can be a quiet moment. It can be a personal moment where you just sit silently and and get that cup open and take it that represents uh, Christ's blood and the bread that represents his body, but It can also be a moment where you gather with your friends or your family or your small group and you just have a time of prayer together as you surrender your life to Jesus and thank him for what he's done for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we come into your presence so grateful that you desire to have a relationship with us. 
God, we know that these next few moments are about celebrating what you've done for us, and it's about engaging in that relationship more than we ever have before. Lord, I pray that as we take these elements that remind us of Jesus and the gift that he's given to us, God, that it would challenge us to be motivated by love and our relationship with you, that we would surrender more and more of our lives to you to trust your authority and to place ourselves under it. Lord, I pray that you move in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. You can keep up with what's happening at Northridge on your mobile device through our Northridge Christian app. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info at